Okay, okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. I'm gonna try to start, you know, a little close. I wanna try to end more towards 40 after than 45. Uh, I don't know if I can pull that off or not, but let's at least give it a go. It's gonna be tough, I know it is. That's, no, that's 20 of, yeah, I know, 10 of, yeah, sure. Uh, you're a funny man because you've been here before, that's the reason. Let's pray and then we'll chatter about so many things. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Christ Jesus, John 1, 17. You're two Sundays after Epiphany. You are in the second week of ordinary time if you keep score in that way. Um, things are green for just a little while and then we'll move to Lent. So here we go. Merciful God, loving Father, you govern all things in heaven and on earth and you make everything new through your almighty word. Transform our sinful natures that all our doings by the power of your Holy Spirit may please you and that someday we attain perfect joy through Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay, a lot of fun things. Uh, thanks for everything at Christmas time. Thanks for Christmas sharing. Do, I just want to say, put a plug in, Gifts for Grace. You can still pull a tag today. If you can get your, I think Wednesday is the day. If you can pull a, pl pull a tag, there, it's in the stairwell, pull a tag. The good news is a lot of tags have been pulled, uh, but with the weather and the holidays, not as much stuff's been brought back. I think it's a good sign. People will show up. If you can get your stuff here by Wednesday, just drop it right inside the door. You don't have to take it anywhere. Just inside the door by the poinsettias. That would be great. You're really good at Gifts for Grace. Tell your friends. Pull a tag if you haven't pulled one. Uh, bring it back. Life's good. Kathy Thorne's a little under the weather today, but she'll make sure that everything works out. John's here watching over things and making your coffee, so life's good, okay? Um, let's see. Gifts for... No, let's see. You sure? All right, we'll do Gifts for Grace, but let me just put in your ear as a side. Um, CareNet needs diapers, any size diapers, and wipes. So if you're in the same aisle and you want to go two for one, we'll put the if you put money in the basket, we'll give it to Grace. But CareNet needs over the next couple of weeks. If you can think about that, they need diapers and wipes. and wipes and that kind of thing. Okay. Um, you know, a couple of people, one or two people, have asked why we don't do a bigger thing with Sanctity of Life Sunday. As you know, we do that on other weeks. For example, the feast day of St. Joseph, we do it. Or We've done stuff on the Holy Innocence. We try to tie it to a church day rather than a non-church day. This is, you know, tied to a church day, and it often can be very negative. Maybe we have to do it, but, um, you know, but it's often very much, uh, you know, even because we, you, we absorb the agenda from something else, a, a court ruling, it's often very much uh, without pastoral care. So we've tried to morph it into more pastoral care on other weeks. You remember the baby bottles and the other stuff that we do. Um, nevertheless, you know, be supportive and, and do what you can. So, gifts for grace. And then, uh, did you get the you got the little letter from um, Jose Luis from Spain? Did you see this? I mean, this is the joy of. So, what happened is Arthur just had to go for a meeting. So, you know, as we typically do, you know, we tied two thousand dollars to his ankle in hundred dollar bills, <laughs> and then. Up to $10,000, you know, you can take out legally. So usually when we go someplace, everybody has a packet of $100 bills. Uh, you know, I think I told you when I was in Russia once, there was, first time I went, I had just under $10,000, like $100 short, so you're, if they stop you and count it. Well, then they have the regular, and then like if you have money line. And I'm thinking, so now I'm going to walk out into Russia where I can't speak the language, and I've just said to everybody, by the way, I have money, just in case anybody is curious because I'm going through this line over here. It's the craziest thing, but what are you going to do? So, uh, hello, Scott. Sorry for my English. I hope you understand email. Some days I do, some days I don't. Now I can begin. 
You know, the appreciation and love are words that best describe my feelings for my brothers at St. John. My family is also presently, surprisingly, for your help. You give us this far and almost without knowing. One of my guesses is he wrote it in Spanish and hit Google Translator, which is close enough, right? I mean, it's close enough. We get it. In our heart, we always be St. John. That's actually a very nice sentence. Though I belong to the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Valencia, I would feel very proud that consider me at least symbolically a member of your congregation. That's very nice. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you always in your life full of blessings. Please present our thanks and affection. I hope the Lord gives me the opportunity to meet you all in person. I want to thank you. I want to thank the persons who met our alliance, Professor Justice Fort Wade, my friend, my brother. So, a hug in Christ. There you go. So that's very nice. I mean, it's nice to you send two thousand dollars to somebody who has not much at all, and uh, the economy in Spain hasn't been so great. And you know, it's always tough to go to seminary. And so anyway. Thanks for doing some good. You collected a couple of weeks for them, and the money did go over to them. I just wanted to do You should share in the fun when that happens as well. Okay, questions about anything? My nervousness is you can't remember even what we did. Even I myself was like, what in the world? Okay, so you need to be able to. Now, fortunately, in, my, in the great, you know, in the great, uh, you know, in all the great research I did for this week, you remember that we were talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit and then opposite of those of the seven deadly sins. In my great discovery, you know, there's very, and I told you there's various lists of the deadly sins, and of course, um, many of you thought that the seven deadly sins were codified by Gregory the Great. No, no, what I discovered this week is that the seven deadly sins are actually codified in Gilligan's Island. <laughs> so, uh, with the professor's death, I, this is true, I read an essay on it this week. So, here are your seven deadly sins. So now, very quickly, you'll identify... I also tell you one of the great tragedies of my own life, a breach between my mother that is, and I that's still not healed, which is she said, when I was a boy, you can watch Gilligan's Island after you take your bath. So I, in fact, took a bath and washed my hair under the faucet, didn't even turn under the shower during the theme song to Gilligan's Island and was back in place with a towel around me before the first part. My mother, unfortunately, didn't believe me. And uh, those were the days before video recorders. You know, if you didn't see it, you actually didn't see it. I'm still scarred deeply <laughs> in my soul. She should have trusted me, and I missed that episode. So, if you were going for pride, you'd pick who? Who's, who's the prideful one? Mr. Howe. No, close. Mr. Howe. Uh, I mean, who takes a case of money when you go on it? Now, everybody's got some, right? But you have, to, you have to find the primary one, right? So if you go for Mr. Howell, you'd take greed. greed. Yeah, of course, that's Mr. Howell. What's his lovely wife? What would his lovely wife be? Yes, he loves you. That's right. But what, what's her sin? You see, you always want to identify other people's sin because then you can make fun of them and tease. It could be pride, of course, but better would be ah, uh, it could be gluttony. She never did anything. Yes, all she did was unpack and repack clothes. Trunk of money, trunk of clothes. Okay, keep going. Pride, your clue, he died this week at 89. Great sadness. The professor died. He could make something out of nothing. That's pride. Make yourself the creator that you're done for. Okay. Envy and lust, two sides of the same coin. And? That's exactly right. So, you know, Ginger's the lust, and Marianne wants to be the lust, so she's envy, right? So there you go. And that leaves um, anger and gluttony. Yeah, the thing is, is we'll give those both to the skipper and we'll make Gilligan Satan himself, all right? <laughs> so there you go. Uh, in case you can't remember them when it comes to, you see, 
Now, who knew? I thought the big news this morning was that the NSA, this is true, I heard this on the way in, that they have figured a way that even with, they, in additions to your computer and even your USB cord, their transistors, so they can now read your computer and even change data on your computer without the internet, directly by radio waves, and it goes through a separate radio frequency. Read the New York Times this morning, believe them if you want. I thought that was the big news. No, no. The big news is this, okay? So there you go. All right, um, so we are where we are. So pick up your thing. We'll, we'll, we'll try to, I have a new, a new bit for you. Pick it up, and we'll try to remember where we've been. And we need to flesh out a little bit, and then, you know, off we go to the races. And I should, um, I won't be gone again until, you know, mid-February or something. I'll be gone one time, but we'll, you know, we'll see what happens here, okay? So, uh, should have a new, ay ay ay. Let me get to my get to my spot. You should have a new one. Is it number eight or is it number seven? It's number seven. Okay. All right. So you know, the first thing for you to remember is uh, your baptismal life, the into and in thing. If you can just always sort of hold on to that, that'll keep things square. So you remember this: if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. We're baptized into Christ. Romans six. We're baptized into Christ, and then we're in Christ. In Christ becomes this code word for. Uh, the, in Christ becomes the code word for Christians. So here it is. All of us who have been baptized into Christ have been united with him in a death like him. So into is motion. It, for, for you who you know, read Grammar Girl, into is a... Uh, you should get Grammar Girl. It's good for you. Uh, into is a preposition of motion. For those who have been baptized into Christ, so you used to live over here, and now you're baptized and you live over here. You move... You know, it's like, it's like Jesus picks up your corpse and moves you from one place to another. You've been baptized into Christ, and then you are in his death, in his resurrection. Consider yourselves, and then this is the best part, dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this is where, or at least tied to this, is where the notion that you're the body of Christ. So you live in Christ, you are Christ, you do as Christ does, you say as Christ says. And then, you know, Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, technical language for baptism, okay? To be in Christ is to be baptized. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. So, uh, this back and forth to Trinity. He lo I love you, I love you right back. And so you even heard that today in the Gospel, you know, this... This love for the Son and then um, John's love for Christ and the baptism and how that all works out. Come and see, you know, or Jesus, come stay with me. It's very, very nice. All right, I'm turning the page already. Now, this is just a little bit of review of what we did. Just so you can remember, at baptism, the Holy Spirit gives every Christian, okay, and this was the spiritual ones of 1 Corinthians 12, 1, concerning the spiritual ones, right, concerning those who are spiritual, those in the church, Everybody gets this, faith, hope, and love. And these things energize you, right? Faith, so basic definition of stuff. Faith agrees. Sin disagrees. As simple as that. That's as simple as I can make the Christian life. Faith agrees. So Jesus says, believe this, we believe it. He says, love this, we love it. He says, do this, we do it. He says, don't do that, we don't do that. Faith agrees. And sin disagrees. It's just that simple, right? This doesn't mean you're mindless. It's the, the church is a rich, full thing. 
You, know, you think about how it is that you'll love your neighbor. You have to make decisions about whom you give money to or what beggars you support or how this works or what the church should do next. But in general, you have, you have all kinds of things to think about, what the best ways to engage people, how to help people confess their sins, how to help people who are broken you know, feel as if they belong. You know, just, take the, just take the Sanctity of Life Sunday. You know, we are for it. You know, the greatest oppression. You know, somebody gave me a statistic, I'll have to remember this, but 95 million abortions since you know, abortion was legalized, as opposed to 6 million Jews or 8 million Lutherans killed during the Second World War, for example. Okay, 95 million is a very large number, but if we went through the congregation, I just tell you, we have loads of people who have been, had abortions, you know, fathered kids who were aborted, had kids, had relatives, okay? So if you stand up on a Sunday and if you just sort of shake your fist at people and say, you know, kind of to hell with you, that doesn't, that isn't what people need to hear. What they need to hear is, you've done a horrible thing and Christ loves you even though you've done a horrible thing and we throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ. That's what, and that's what often is not heard and that's why we tie it more to a feast day. And it is, you know, liberal and conservative should be able to unite on this, that we protect people who are innocent and oppressed, right? Whether they're in the womb or not. This is really kind of basic stuff. But the problem is we have to have intelligence on how to, and pastoral care about how to, how to engage that so that we don't make it worse for the very people who already feel horrible. What most people need to hear is that they're loved. Most people know they're horrible already. What people need to hear in the church is that they're loved. We help them sharpen it up. We help them lose bad habits. But they have to know that they're loved. And we all need to do that. Not in a way that we don't care. You see, so, so we say what Jesus says. We do what Jesus does. We live as Jesus lives. But it takes a tremendous amount of energy. It takes a tremendous amount of energy to do that. You can think about tithing. You can think about praying. You can think about coming to church. You can think about caring for other people. You can think about being a good witness. You can think about being merciful. You know, when I say faith agrees, it doesn't mean you're a robot. It means that you agree to engage your life in a particular way. We're new creations. We're going to live our lives in a particular way. And we'll be guided by divine love. And we'll be impelled by faith. And we always live hopefully. Because we know, this is, and you remember we did all this and we talked about how you get rid of anger and how you can live without despair because you know what Christ has done on the far end. We live our lives backwards. So we know we've been baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ. We know that someday we die. We know that when we die, we go to heaven. When we go to heaven, we live in the love and beauty and life of Christ. You know, and I, it, for me, the, the notion of uh, the scripture where it says, where Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, don't fear those who can kill the body. And just pause and think about that. You know the rest, fear those who can kill the soul. Don't fear those who kill the body. If you watch, even if you watch horror movies, if you watch horrible things on television, if you, if you look at how people threaten other people, it almost always is the bottom line. You might have seen this morning there was, you know, media, or there was video released by terrorists um, around Sochi making bombs and saying, you know, these are for you. We have a special welcome plan for all the visitors who are coming to the Olympics, you know. So what's the threat there? You know, the threat is to those who can kill the body. Jesus is very clear about this. You don't have to fear those who can kill the body because your death is actually a very short event, right? You don't fear those who can kill the body. You desperately fear those who can kill the soul, you know, including yourself by neglecting your soul.
right? So don't fear those who can kill the body. This is why you don't have to worry about things, you know, because Jesus fixed it at the end. Don't fear people who can kill the body. That's not a very big deal because you'll get your body back and it'll be perfect. Even if it's horribly mangled, tortured, you know what? You'll get your body back and it'll be perfect. You'll get your body back in heaven. I believe in the resurrection of the body. We say it every week, okay? I believe in that. And so I can live hopefully. Uh, and what, but what matters most is how, how you live with your, how, how you care for your soul. So these divine things, divine love, everything is done in divine love. That's the energy that propels us. We love as Christ loves. And faith, we see as Christ sees and we do as Christ does. And how can we do that? We do that because our lives are hopeful, because we know at the end of the day Christ will square things up. Not in a way that we so often want, not in a way that we so often want where people get what they deserve. No, the gospel is that people get what they don't deserve. God is wholly unfair. Thank God, because we all get what we don't deserve. We deserve to be smashed. We don't get that. We get the we get unsmashedness. You know, we get the exact opposite, right? So when you're baptized into Christ, when you live in the church, everybody gets faith, hope, and love. We confess that in the catechism, right? Faith, hope, and love. And I gave you both the scripture for that and the catechism stuff for that. You get faith. We see now as Jesus sees. We do as Jesus does. We're energized by divine love. We love as God loves, and we don't worry because we know that at the end of the day, Christ will fix it all up. Make sense? It's just baseline stuff. If you can carry this with you, if you can, I'm coming to you, Karen, because I love you and I haven't heard from you for a while. All right? So um, if you can carry this with you, this will be the draw for people in the church because I can just tell you people in the world feel unloved and all alone. And if you can bring them into a place where they feel loved and where they can see again and they can choose again and they can be happy again and they're not threatened and they can live without fear and live without anxiety. Speaking of which, let me put a plug in for Friday morning women's Bible study if you can be available. Um, Kirby was telling me about it a little bit, just the book that we, I kind of found the book, I gave it to Pastor Nelson, he read it, he thought it was good. But just the simple thing from the first couple weeks that anxiety creates idols. Just that single three words is worth the price of admission. That anxiety creates idols. Because what happens when we're anxious, our lives are all scattered. So what do we do? We try to create something that will make the confusion and disorder go away. The problem is if we create it, it won't hold. But if we receive a divine thing, it will hold. Okay? That's why early on I talked to you about how sin disorders the world. We spent all last year talking about that. And meditation and fasting, reading the scriptures, were all about reordering the world. So all these things are of the same cloth. I'm going to drop dead before I can get it all out to you, but there's so many things. These things are, are not difficult. They're not difficult, but they are intertwined and they make this glorious life. And it takes so much practice and so much work to implement them. They're not difficult. But they are hard because it's hard to be generous. It's hard to be loving. It's hard to be merciful. It's hard to be non-judgmental. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard. And it's so, so, so worth it because this is the only place in all the world. The church is the only place in all the world where you can receive this. There's no other place. I can talk forever, Karen. I can just keep going. <laughs> what do you want to know? then I'm not going to go there. 
You're not the boss of me, Karen Crawford. <laughs> Actually, you might be. What do you want to know? Well, to your point about you'll get your body back. Yeah. Um, what about cremation? Okay. Uh, you know, the church was um, again it for a long time because it was used often to sort of refute the resurrection. Um, there's still a little bit of an argument. It's, there's an argument re-emerging about creation among Lutherans. So in one sense, so I have a brother in a sense that was cremated. I mean, he was in a plane crash and he was incinerated and, you know, in a sense he's cremated. I have every confidence that the next time I see him, his body will be put back together better than it ever was. So I look forward to that. So there's not an issue about whether God can do that. If you've had people go to war, if you've had people in accidents, you know, so technically it's not a trouble. Our argument with it was that um, it was used in some ways as atheism sort of arose to refute the resurrection, sort of to thumb your nose at God. The other side is, and I have to kind of think about this, I haven't really engaged, it's kind of a secondary argument that someday when I don't have anything else to do I'll pick up, um, which is, you know, it doesn't follow the model of Christ being put into the tomb. And I kind of want to just think that all the way through. It's not, it's not a heavy enough thing for me to feel nervous about it or say to people, don't be cremated. Um, so if I were you, I'd lose sleep over something else. Uh, but someday I'll have some fun and think about it. Mr. Crawford. No, I'm trying to get Oh. Oh. <laughs> believe me, believe me, that's a better thing than I thought you were going to say. So go ahead. I mean, if you're just trying to get the attendance seat, I just love you, my boy. Are you all good? So here's where we're going. I mean, just to remind you where you've been. You've been baptized. When you're baptized, you're taken out of death and you're put into Christ. In Christ, our life is new. Every one of you are given these three energies. That's how Scripture speaks to them, the special energies of the Holy Spirit, faith, hope, and love. They work together, but they're different. So faith lets us see. Love energizes us to do what we see. Hope consoles us when what we do doesn't always work out. And then, beyond that, um, we sort of go through our lives and live with the other gifts that the Holy Spirit apportions as He will. And those are kind of what we're exploring. You see, everybody good? You're okay? That sort of catches you up to where we were. Now, with the reminder in the middle of the page under three, without me you can do nothing. You never run by your own steam. I'm going to turn the page, okay? So how does the embodied life play out? Okay. Christ shares his gift with us so that we can live this out. This is why, you know, it's not so much that, ah, I don't got to say this carefully. I was thinking about why you should be in church. Um, you, you're, you're in church so that you're always enlivened, always strengthened. I read this really interesting thing this week. I'm going to try and decide if I'm going to, if it would freak you out if I run it as a margin comment midway through Lent. It's about how demons tempt you. Um, you know, you're, you're stronger probably on the notion that you have a guardian angel who's always with you and cares for you. But, you know, Jesus talks about this, and we've talked about it in the past, when he talks about how you, uh, these little ones have an angel whose face always beholds the face of God. Um, for everything that's good, you know, there's the anti-good until the second... So I'm, I'm probably going to run this for you, but the short, the short run of it is, um, and I, I kind of have to be careful with these things, but there's, there's a very frank discussion of how demons tempt you. Um, part of it is, is that, so if they're angels, then they're demons. 
So angels, demons are just fallen angels. Angels are smarter than you. You always have to start that that way, which is why if you, engage, if, you, if you meet a demon someday, you never talk to them. You know, the proper response is, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me. Okay? So you don't, engage the, you don't engage the demon because the demon is always smarter than you. But I sort of read this little critique this week, which I may, I may send to you. Um, I'll just see if I can. I'm not sure how much cleanup I'd have to do if I run it. Uh, which basically says, you know, the demons are often present to you and they, they, they watch you. And they're very because they're very clever, much like a statistician or a sociologist or a good newspaper reporter, they sort of observe your pet or the NSA or Google. Uh, you know, <laughs> demons are like Google. And yeah. um, I gotta, which is basically they begin to form they begin to form an impression of you. They begin to know what your weaknesses are and what your strengths are. Um, uh, they begin to know uh, what irritates you and what brings you peace. And simply by watching you, they know, when it, they know where to attack and how to attack. You remember last year I talked to you a lot about how, not a lot, I talked to you two times about the difference between complaint and lament. How when you complain all the time, you're basically, when you complain to other people, when you gossip, when you complain, you're actually telling the demons exactly where to attack you. This is what bothers me. This is where I'm weak. This is what I hate. I don't know. You're telling in complaint, in gossip, you're telling the demons where to attack you. You're exposing your weakness. You're like, strike me here. In lament, which is the biblical word for wrapping this up in prayer or speaking it to God, that's protected communication. It's like an insulated wire. Okay? But one of the things that demons do is watch you for where you're strong and where you're weak, and you can expect to be attacked at the weak points. The reason I'm telling you that is to tell you this, which is what what... If you will, coming to church, going to the Eucharist, remembering your baptism, confessing your sins, being merciful, are things that re-insulate you against that, right? They strengthen you against that. And so um, those things help you, uh, make you stronger. It doesn't mean you won't be attacked. It means you'll be able to carry on a bit better. Yes, sir. Well, it's a nice thing to say um, because a couple of things. One, words have power, which is one thing that we neglect. Although I was thinking this morning, the laws against hate speech, I'm not always so keen on for a range of reasons. They're abused primarily. But laws against hate speech at least have the recognition that words matter. However, um, demons cannot read your heart. That belongs to God alone. Only God sees the heart. There's you know, a dozen references in Scripture about that. So your heart... Your heart cannot be read. I can't read your heart. No one can read your heart but God himself, right? But um, even something so simple, I ran this as a margin comment last week or the week before where I marked about the Svargus, the marking, and I gave one of the stories of St. Anthony where people hear this great battle going on, and when they look in, they just see him sitting still, and they're like, what in the world is going on? And he says to him, we ran this. Remember, did you read it? Maybe you were gone, but he says, make the sign of the cross and go home and go to sleep. It's all going to be okay, right? So there are things that you can do which is, you know, sing the Kyrie, say the Lord's Prayer out loud. 
You have to, these are sort of shrill sounds. You know those little, you know, if you're not a, if you're not a mouse guy, they give them poison or those sticky traps. You know, you can buy those things that make a noise apparently that make the, the mice go away. I don't know if it works for mice, but it does in fact work for demons. And so the name of Jesus is repulsive. It's why when people wear a cross, you wear a cross. That's why when people wear a cross, he's got a body on that thing. Okay, never mind. So here's the thing. <laughs> where, where, if you wear a cross, if you wear a cross, especially with a body, if you wear a cross with a body, that is, I mean, the vampire movies aren't all wrong. The whole notion of, I'm not so big on the mirror, but uh, the cross I'm okay with, okay? Those things are, those are real things. That's why the church is the safest place in all the world. I mean, the church is filled, you remember Kleinig's sermon from a couple of years ago, the church is filled with angels. It's the safest place in all the world. It is, in fact, true, you know? So say it aloud and protect yourself. And then I just want to say to you, and then move on. It's not the sort of thing you need, so you don't expose yourself to it. And then, but you also don't worry about it if you get exposed to it. Don't expose yourself to it. Protect yourself. Be, be proactive about protecting yourself. Go to the Eucharist. And it's the great C.S. Lewis thing. He says, you know, you know, the two demons when they talk, he said, if you want to damn a man, if you want to damn a man, leave him alone. He wakes up and finds himself in hell one day and he goes, what happened? Right? What happened to me? And the answer is nothing. You just generally went to, you, you just eventually went to ashes. So... All right? Good. And then one thing I just want to make sure that you've got going forward is this notion of living between the chopsticks. So I told you this story about going to dinner with Kleinig and marking up the tablecloth. But basically, it's so important for you to understand that the Word of God, and especially the Ten Commandments, tells you a couple of things. It tells you what pleases God and what blesses you. And we don't say this enough. We do not say enough that how pleased God is with you. And this isn't just if you're a good boy or a good girl. God is so pleased with you. He loves you. He cares for you. You went to the Eucharist this morning. He's so pleased with you. He loves you so deeply. So often, you know, we have this notion of God is the one who ruins our fun or God is the Father who's always really mad at us, which is really kind of a warning to fathers who are always cranky. You know, God forgive us. But this notion that God is very pleased with you and loves you deeply even when you do really stupid things, even when you sin, even when you do horrible things, go all the way back to what I first said about Sanctity of Life Sunday. God's predominant affect toward you is love. And so when you live within Christ, in Christ, in your baptism, in the creed, in the Ten Commandments, when you live inside that, you're able to say, God loves me and God is very pleased with me. It's, like, it's really the difference between having a father who loves you and a father who doesn't love you. You know, it's that simple. If you have a father who doesn't love you, you know it. If you have a father who loves you, you know that too. The first one is terribly uncomfortable. The second one should be the best possible, you know, thing you can imagine. And that's how it is for you in the church. So, you know, all the things we're going to talk about, about, you know, living in love and living in faith, these aren't things where, that you have to do or will be mad if you don't or... The church will fail, you know, if you, it's not about that. It's about you have a soul. Your soul needs to be protected and nourished. Jesus protects and nourishes your soul by giving you word and sacrament. And when you're within that, you're, you're, you're becoming more and more human, more and more ordered, more and more holy, if you understand that in the proper way, toward the day when everything will be made right, Okay. So we see by faith, we live by love, and we're consoled by the hope for the future. This is all of one cloth. If you could just, 
if you could hold on to all of this, just to, this is all baseline stuff. One of the great things about St. John is, one of the great things about St. John is the, such a high, the baseline, the bar is so high in some ways because you all know so much. But here's the thing, this is like, these things are, you know, if you really want to get some work done, you know, kind of now is the time. You've all, you've all sort of got this. Now the fun will be, for the next 10, 20, 30, 50 years of your life, trying to figure out the greatest good you can do living in the gifts that Jesus gives you. So you all have the first three, faith, hope, and love, these energies, okay? And then um, next, you get these things that promised to Christ in Isaiah, but of course, it wasn't just promised to Christ, it was promised to you. Because you're in Christ. Because you are Christ. Not in some, just some sort of imaginary or hopeful or metaphorical way. You are Christ. You are the body of Christ. You're added into Christ. It's a remarkable, remarkable thing. Okay, still good? You're going to have to hold on to all of this as we scoot through next week and the following weeks what we're doing. So I'm right at this. I'm sort of, I'm running through number four. And then number five. Here's the technical stuff we did. What Christ shares with us, the Holy Spirit manages for us. So Christ gives us, Christ gives us the gifts and the Holy Spirit manages it. He distributes it. He knits it all together. All the stuff about find your spot and work your spot or you've been in other churches where you've had spiritual gift inventory, all that kind of stuff. All that's trying to do is recognize the gifts that are given and manage them together. Now, um, and we saw how Christ not only gives them, I've turned the page to the one that says 6, 7, 8, but he explains the gifts, and ultimately he fits you together. So let me just say, the next time at St. John, you know, and I'll try to remember this too, that you're really irritated with somebody, you know, really annoyed, or maybe in your family too, what you might begin to think about is how God is using that person or fitting that person in in a way that perhaps you don't understand. It may be that he's fitting him in in, in an act of weakness. So, you know, crabby people, you need a couple of them around because they keep you on your toes, right? I'm a couple. Yeah, I mean, I don't, this isn't confession, okay? But I mean, if you could just recognize in your own heart, you know, where... You need a couple of crabby people around, because not too many, just a couple, because they keep you. You know, that's a negative way that, that God fits things together. In a positive way, there may be people who are so far beyond you in their ability to love, in their ability to pray, in their ability to be generous. There may be so, people so far beyond you that you can't even figure it out. Mrs., uh, what's the woman who gave all the jack to buy the stuff next door? Renhack? Renhack. She'd be, be a great example of somebody who was, never met her, but just from, I mean, she left a million dollars the same glass windows in her house. Let, just, let, let me just say, there's some of you I'd like to not understand in that particular way, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's a different kind of human being. You actually can't understand people like that. People who say, you know, here's a million bucks. You, you just can't understand it. But it changes the life. It can change the, people's lives for the good, you know, for, for, you know, for, for, for a long, long time. So here are the gifts, and I'm going to shoot through this really fast because my time is up, but now I'm going to show you that 40 is magically 45. Nothing up my sleeve, right? Watch over here as I go here, okay? So Isaiah 11, you had this. A shoot will come forth, that's Jesus. The Spirit will come down on him, the gospel for today. I saw the Spirit of God come down on him. 
He will have these things, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, fear, and delight. We did delight and fear. Okay, that's what we did beforehand. Turn the page. Delight is this humility, you know. This, you're, just, you're just happy to be in the church. If you want to be humble, you know, it's like, I mean, this great thing. I mean, I've been thinking about this for a whole day, that anxiety creates idols. Gratitude creates humility. Right? So you remember the gift you've been given. You were dead, now you're alive. You were lost, now you're found. Gratitude, you don't, you don't get humility by aiming at being humble. It's not like playing tennis, where if you want to hit a good forehand, you hit 10,000 forehands. That's not how you do it. It's indirect. right? You don't aim at being humble, because then you become proud about your humility. You, gratitude is the source. Gratitude is the source of humility. So if you remember what your parents have done for you, if you remember what your kids have done for you, if you remember you know, what your professors have done for you, if you remember what your, uh, the other people in church have done for you, if you remember you know, what a mentor has done for you, most of all, if you remember what Christ has done for you, that humbles you because you remember that you couldn't do it all on your own, right? And then we talked about that. The, um, the opposite of that is the deadly sin of pride, okay? So humility and pride go together. Um, and now I'm just going to flip the page. And then we did piety as we moved last week. And piety is the action, the action of doing good. Piety means godliness. That's the, that's, that's the, that's the other gift. We, we talk about it as, as fear, but really it means this reverent godliness. We're like, we're so grateful that we're baptized. We're so grateful that we're in the church. We're so grateful that Christ forgives us. We're so grateful that we can do anything wrong and be forgiven. We're so grateful that we live in love that we want to live that way too because we know how good it is, okay? The opposite of that, believe it or not, is lust. And I'm going to do this kind of quickly, but then you can read about it. We think of lust, primarily it goes to sex or sexual activity. But interesting, um, the Latin word for lust is luxuria, right? Which comes easily into English as luxury, which goes to Mrs. Howell. So here's the thing. <laughs> You know, that, way, that means then lust, I'm under point 11, can apply to money, to food, to fame, to power, or any other idol. And idolatry then becomes the key. Right? And so now think again, anxiety creates idolatry. So we're anxious that we're not enjoying enough, that we don't have enough, that we won't be provided for. And that creates then illicit kind of actions. You know? And now here's the thing. That's why there's like mortal and venial sins. So these would be mortal sins. What you don't have up here, for example, is stealing, right? Because stealing can be the result of greed or stealing can be the result of lust. Just an aside thing on the demon thing. One of the things that happens is if, 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 if you can't be tempted into one of these, you know, if you can't be tempted into one of these, they don't waste time here. They move down to the next level and it's death by a thousand cuts, okay? And, and venial sins, stealing, you know, lying, you know, just generally being unhappy, being disrespectful. I mean, there's a thousand sins, right? You know, you can, you can die from those too if they're not washed away and embraced. This is why, get the order right, get the order right, get the order right. Christ forgives, and then you live in that forgiveness. Okay, so it's confessed and washed away. It's swept away swept away and you live within it it's terribly terribly important 
So um, basically, the opposite of a good life, of a, of a life well lived, of a pious life, of doing good, the opposite of that is lust. You basically say, I won't have mercy, I won't have generosity, I won't have truth, I won't have, whatever it is, I'd rather, and it boils down to, live for myself. And then people self-medicate. It doesn't matter if it's sex, it doesn't matter if it's money, you know, it doesn't matter if it's power. I mean, betrayal. Betrayal comes from lust. Why? We, we want something and we'd sell anybody out to get it. You know, we talked about this for a whole Lent once, about every sin, every sin is a betrayal. So, so think about this. Um, so, so far you've got, um, you know, you've got humility and pride, and now you've got these pairings. The next pairing is um, piety, godliness, hear it in a positive way, godliness, and lust, which is you hope for things or wish for things or aim for things that don't properly belong to you. And that all comes out of self-love uh, and self-satisfaction. Okay, um, but you know, like all things, a good confession, and this is why confession is so good, because confession is a very easy fix. No matter what you've done, doesn't matter what you've done, any of the things I've named, it doesn't matter what you've done, to say to Jesus, I'm very sorry, forgive me please, and I'll try never to do that again. That's a fresh start, and that's what the church does. So there's a very practical reason. Knowing these things and confessing these things strengthen us together as the body of Christ and strengthen us individually. Uh, so what we're trying to do is explore the gifts we've been given, try to eliminate the antitheses of them through confession, and to live together and do some good. Make sense? Okay? All right, that's where we're going. We'll do a new one next week. I love you. Thanks for staying with me. All right, here we go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. See ya. Thanks.